0: They're fearful of me because I'm an intellectual warrior, because I'm like the Alexander the Great of libertarianism right now. And they would much prefer someone like a Socrates who'll drink the hemlock and die rather than fight for liberty. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare.
1: Why won't you come roar with me? Oh, hey guys, didn't see you there. Welcome on back. I was just humming along there. I didn't realize the show had started, but I am glad to have you back here for another edition of Lions of Liberty. This is the 197th episode of this program. Oh my lord, we are getting close to 200 episodes. You can find links to everything we discuss in today's conversation over at lionsofliberty.com/197. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an incredible free market, affordable, legal alternative to your standard Obamacare corporatized insurance. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. My guest today is a former producer for Judge Napolitano's Freedom Watch. He runs the Libertarian Republic website. He hasn't been a guest on this show before, and he is back with me today to discuss his candidacy for President of the United States with the Libertarian Party. I'm pleased to welcome back Austin Peterson. Austin, are you ready to roar? I'll take that as a yes. Awesome. (laughs) Welcome back, Austin. Like I said, it's good to have you back here. And I'd ask what you've been up to, but I think we have a pretty good idea what you've been up to. And that's spending most of your time running for president. Now I've got some questions from my listeners that I'll pass along and we'll try to get to that later on in the show. But first, I've got a few questions of my own, starting with the obvious. Why is Austin Peterson running for president?
0: Because I think that we really need someone who has got the energy, the passion, the drive, and the knowledge to take the liberty movement into the future. I think that the liberty movement is strong and powerful and can accomplish great things if we are unified in purpose. We've seen Ron Paul accomplish great things. Gary Johnson's done great things. And we've seen lots of other libertarian leaders make great strides. And I think that if given this opportunity, I can take the message forward and sell the American people on a concept that hereto before they have not been buying, which is that full idea of libertarianism, economic freedom and personal liberty. Republicans, Democrats have been cutting those ideas in half. Republicans say, hey, you can have your uh, economic liberty, but no personal freedoms. You know, And the Democrats say, well, no, no economic liberty, but uh, yeah, personal freedoms are fine. Libertarians offer both. That's what I represent, and that's what I'm fighting to do.
1: Now, also, the last time you're on the show, we talked in depth about the non-aggression principle and, and why you reject that on the philosophical level. That was episode 120. We'll link to that in the show notes of this program for anyone that did not catch it. In order to run for president for the Libertarian Party, you have to sign a non-aggression pledge. So can you kind of define the difference there between your philosophical rejection of the non-aggression principle and that pledge that you agreed to in order to run as president for the Libertarian Party?
0: This is multi-level conversation here. So let's just get one thing straight. Gary Johnson rejected the NAP the other day by saying he didn't know what it was, and he thinks it's a waste of time. I John, he
1: said it went over his head.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it went over his head, and he thought that it was something that the American people don't care about. Uh, well, you know, he's half right about that. Actually, he's fully right about that he doesn't understand it and americans don't care john mcafee the day after he signed the pledge said he'd have to see it before he signed anything like that so he probably didn't pay attention to it i fully understand the non-aggression principle and it's because i've been in the libertarian party for a long time and having actually worked for the party directly and having been an lp member for so long that i understand it perfectly and the pledge is not the non-aggression principle the pledge is what David Nolan wanted people to sign so that he could prove to the government, Richard Nixon, that they were not a terrorist organization. So the pledge was a gimmick, an attempt to prove to Richard Nixon, who was going after groups like uh, the Weather Underground and the Black Panthers, that they were not a terrorist outfit. So that's what it was. And our founding fathers of the United States pledged their lives, their honor, and their fortunes and their sacred honor to bloody war with England. The LP pledges to not make the feds uncomfortable. So uh, in terms of pledges, it's a rather weak pledge, but it's not the non-aggression principle. The non-aggression principle is pacifist anarchism. And there are about 10 different schools of libertarianism. Pacifist anarchism is just one branch of it. I represent another branch, minarchism, the, the school of Robert Nozick and Friedrich Hayek and Ludwig von Mises.
1: You you mentioned Gary Johnson and McAfee there as well. And and they're clearly, as you pointed out, not that strong on the non-aggression principle either. So not that you're not strong on it, you actually do understand it and make an argument against it, I should say. Correct. But you know, why do you think you've seemed to ruffle so many feathers in the Libertarian Party that these guys aren't getting the same kind of flack from? I mean, John McAfee until two months ago was not even a Libertarian, never used the term before. Like you said, Gary Johnson basically says, this thing goes over my head, I don't know what it is. And yet you're the one that seems to inspire all this anger and rage. I mean, you got the Libertarian Party of Colorado saying, well, we're not going to invite this guy to our convention because he's against the non-aggression principle. So, I mean, what is it about you that seems to be getting so many people riled up? Think about it. They
0: prefer ignorance to intelligence. They prefer someone who says that I don't understand it. And rejects it rather than someone who says they understand it and reject it because someone like myself can make the case to people about why the non-aggression principle should be rejected. That's much more dangerous than someone who says, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) So yes, they're fearful of me because I'm an intellectual warrior because I'm like the Alexander the Great of libertarianism right now. And they would much prefer someone like a Socrates who will drink the hemlock and die rather than fight for liberty. These people wouldn't know a revolutionary if it bit them in the butt. They love the tyranny that uh, wails over them because they're lazy, they're petty. Most of them have no uh, real drive to accomplish anything for liberty. And they see me as the, they don't like me because they know I'm sincere. You know, somebody in John McAfee's campaign came up to me in Georgia and said to me this. He said, Austin, what do you want out of this? And it was funny, I didn't know that he had also asked the same question of my campaign manager too, a few minutes before this. And my campaign manager didn't know he was going to ask me too. So I guess he thought that he could nail me, by that I would say something different than my campaign manager. And the, the guy from McAfee's campaign came up and said, Austin, what do you really want out of this? And I looked him right in the eye and I said, I want to grow the liberty movement. I want to grow the movement. And he kind of chuckled like, <laughs> uh, no, really. And I had to look him back in the eye and say, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm doing this. I am actually trying to grow the libertarian movement and the libertarian party. And uh, think about this. It's just like the Bible. What did they do when they had Jesus and Barabbas right next to each other? What did they say? What did they shout? They shouted, give us Barabbas, because the crowds are fickle, because many of these people are Philistines, and many of them are Pharisees of the libertarian movement. That You see these people now, they're endorsing Donald Trump. Donald Trump, the libertarians for Donald Trump. And they're terrified of me because I'm wielding up the sword and lifting up the rocks and pointing out what slime and scum and roaches that have been in this movement for so long. And they're scurrying away. So that's why they don't like me, Mark. They don't like me because I actually represent something pure and clean and beautiful and new and fresh and that I'm trying to take the liberty movement away from this paleocon strategy they've had for so many years. And I'm calling out the sellouts to the Republican Party and I'm saying that I'm tired of sitting on our butt because I'm making them work. Because for the first time in a long time, these people are having to get off their butts and campaign because I'm out there setting the dialogue, setting the narrative, and campaigning like a real presidential candidate. They don't like it because it makes them look bad.
1: You mentioned the libertarians for Trump thing there. And, and when I saw that, I just threw my hands in the air. I'm like, really, guys? I mean, really? How, how can you possibly associate libertarians these Libertarians for
0: Trump. But don't you dare support a minarchist libertarian who, who fights in the party and has been there for a long time. But, oh, it's okay. It was so hilarious to see the hoops and jumps that they went through to, to justify away Gary Johnson's explicit dismissal of the non aggression principle. And that just goes to show you how unprincipled these people are. They say, I'm not a libertarian. I'm unprincipled. And yet when someone says libertarians for Trump, they pat him on the butt. No, no, no. See, that's the thing is, Mark, is that we're doing what I'm doing, what needs to be done, separating the wheat from the chaff. And it's got to get done, Mark, because we're never going to be able to advance into the future and start a newer, cleaner, fresher movement away from the old cults of personality, which is what we have around Johnson and the Pauls right now, in a new liberty movement with new names and new faces. And that's what we need, or else we're just going to stagnate this year. And that's what I'm afraid of.
1: With your view of a lot of these other people in the libertarian movement, I mean, do you actually see yourself as having a chance to win a lot of these people over and actually take the nomination?
0: Yeah, I do, actually, because you know what happens a lot of times is all they have to do is meet me in person and they change their mind. Some of them already didn't like me and, you know, they've got a false idea in their head of of what I am, so they don't give me a chance. But the ones who do, who come with an open mind, who don't know me enough, and most of them, they just don't know me that well. And when I meet them, they see that I'm sincere and then they meet. It's not just me. It's the people who are behind me. It's one thing to have a person who's running for office and be like, oh, this is a pretty good guy. But when you see all the good kids, uh, the men and women and the, and the minorities who are supporting me in my campaign, how diverse the movement is of people that are behind me, that gets people interested. I mean, here's a funny little story, Mark. When we go to these events, you know, my girlfriend remarked this to me the other day. We go to these events, you see the, you know, the Gary Johnson table, the you know, Mark Feldman table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all bros. <laughs> but when you go to the Austin Peterson table, it's a nice, healthy mix of men and women. And that says something to people who are like, oh, huh, this is interesting. This is a different group over here. One of these kids is doing their own thing. And uh, that's what we need. We need somebody who's going to shake it up. You need fresh blood. And so, you know, that's just what's going on over here. And it makes some people uncomfortable because people in political parties, they act the same. It doesn't matter if you're a libertarian, Republican or Democrat. Um, The party bosses are always going to try and keep out the insurgents. I am the Ron Paul of this race. I am the anti-establishment candidate in this anti-establishment party, and I'm perfectly comfortable with it.
1: Now, Austin, you mentioned Gary Johnson there a couple of times. To many people, he is the presumed frontrunner. Uh, you might even say the inevitable nominee, according to many people. Obviously, you attempt to challenge that, but you have made Gary Johnson one of the biggest targets of your campaign. At least that's what I get from following you on social media. So what are your biggest issues with Gary Johnson? Why are you going after him so hard? And what are the biggest areas of disagreement that you have with him?
0: Well, first of all, because even if I lose, I'm going to make Gary more libertarian. Or I'm going to make him campaign. You know, one of Gary's campaign staffers, whoever he, I don't know if he worked for his staff specifically, but who was working on his behalf in Missouri, we had sat down and we had lunch together, and he said, "You know what, Austin? <laughs> I'm glad you're running because I'm glad you're making Gary campaign." You have to understand that Gary was going to sit on his butt until the convention in May, win it, and get handed it, and then have to start his campaign zero to sixty. Well, I'm sorry, you know, Donald Trump was going to sit on him anyway, but he has zero shot if there wasn't somebody gonna, that was going to challenge him and tell him he was going to eat his lunch if he didn't get out there and campaign because I want whoever the libertarian nominee is to be a tiger, you know, not a lamb. So in terms of Gary Johnson being my biggest target, yeah, because I'm trying to light a fire under the governor's butt. I like the governor and he's a libertarian on a great many things, but not most things. Because if you look at our comparison side-by-side on the website iSideWith, which he has been touting for years, he's been touting his results on iSideWith.com, it's obvious. I am now the most libertarian candidate in this race, more libertarian than John McAfee, more libertarian than Gary Johnson. And in fact, in many ways, Ted Cruz is more libertarian than Gary Johnson. Don't believe me? Go take the quiz. iSideWith.com. Gary is a big government statist on many issues, which libertarians would find troubling. I knew this for years. That's one of the reasons why I'm challenging him, because if I make him change his positions to be more libertarian, and if I make him campaign and he beats me, if he's the eventual nominee, it doesn't matter. I still won because libertarians will have a better candidate this year.
1: Do you plan to support whoever the nominee is? Absolutely. Because they're clearly all better than Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, I think. (laughs) Uh, Well, here's the thing. That's a false dichotomy.
0: Let's talk about that for a second, Mark, because I got some breaking news for you. Your readers need to go and read the Wall Street Journal today. There's an article by Gary Johnson where he says that he would support. Let me pull this quote up for you. This just absolutely blew me away. He says, let's say I wasn't the libertarian nominee and it was Hillary and Trump and Bloomberg. Based on what I know, I'd have voted Bloomberg, he said, even though he's hardly a libertarian. But I mean, you weigh the pluses and the minuses in my particular case, that would have been my vote. Uh, I'm sorry, but what (laughs) in the H-E double hockey sticks? In what universe do you ever say you would vote for Michael Bloomberg? I mean, is he saying that if Bloomberg was the libertarian nominee, which number one would never happen, but he's either saying that he thinks Bloomberg would be the nominee, which is naive and wrong. Or he's saying that he would vote for Bloomberg over the eventual Libertarian nominee if it wasn't him, which theoretically could be me. This isn't like quite Benedict Arnold kind of stuff. But in Libertarian terms, it definitely is. Like this kind of stuff is what I've been warning people about. And uh, you know what? I've said I would support Gary Johnson if he's the nominee. I'm not so sure if he would return the favor. Well, I'd put five bucks on the the, – the bet that if I beat him, that he's going to be sour grapes and walk away. Just watch.
1: Austin, awesome. I've got one more thing I want to ask you about, and then we'll move on to some questions from the listeners. And that is your stance on abortion. And you've stated that you are the only pro-life candidate running uh, for the libertarian nomination. And yet you've also stated, and I don't have a quote here, so p- correct me if I'm wrong, that you believe government should stay out of the abortion issue. So how do you rectify that view? Because if you want government out of it, aren't you essentially pro-choice by the political definition?
0: No, because abortion isn't monolithic. Abortion comes in many different questions with many different situations. It's not always just, hey, a woman going to an abortion clinic. You know, there's late trimester abortions, there's first trimester abortions, there's abortifacients and birth control pills. I mean, Catholics believe that birth control, you know, should be a crime. Or at least some of the very, very hardcore Catholics are totally opposed to it. So you have to break it down on a piece-by-piece basis. You know, do I think that late trimester abortions, where you pull out a baby and suck its brains out, should be a criminal act by law? Absolutely. And also, uh, do I think that um, RU 486 pills, which is the, um, they call it the morning after pill, do I think that those should be illegal? Absolutely not. I can't because I believe in ending the war on drugs. But in terms of what I believe is a consistent pro-life ethic, I am as pro-life as you can possibly be in a situation where, number one, your hands are tied because the president has no authority over abortion. So what do you really have? You have only, in a sense, you only have a moral stance that you can take. And I would urge all people to take a pro-life stance because that is what I believe a virtuous and moral ethic. And we should always try and find ways that are non-governmental solutions first. Government is just like war. It should always be an absolute last resort. And I see many opportunities for us to not use government to stop abortions. The number one way to do that is to sell birth control pills over the counter. So as president, I'm only going to be in power for eight years. So I'm going to use every single limited government method that I can to help stop abortions. That's what I plan on doing. And that's why I take that position. You can you know, let the conservatives go in and say that they're going to create some sort of totalitarian authoritarian government and try and stop every single abortion. Let them fight that battle. I'm going to fight the limited government battle because there are battles that you can win that are libertarian arguments against abortion. Those are the ones I'm going to fight. Does that make sense?
1: It does indeed. And speaking of making sense, Austin, I need to take a minute out to talk a little sense into my listeners about their healthcare choices and give a plug to our great sponsors over at Health Excellence Select. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I purchased my own health insurance. So personally, I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My deductible more than doubled, my premium shot through the roof, and I'm just sitting here thinking, what am I actually getting for this? I'm a healthy guy, I don't go to the doctor, I really hadn't even been to a doctor for any major medical problem in years and years and years, so why would I spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month and then have to spend six or $8,000 in deductibles before I even see a dime of coverage for my healthcare? It just didn't add up, and it doesn't add up, it doesn't add up for most of us. But luckily, there is an alternative out there now. It's an alternative known as health sharing. And health sharing is simply awesome. (laughs) I've gotten paid for every single medical bill I've submitted in full, 100%. This is not a joke. After I spend $500, I get everything else back. And our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch. They'll do all the work for you. They will find your doctors. They will set appointments for you. They'll provide you 24-7 access to doctors via Skype so you don't even need to go to a doctor or pay a dime half the time. Health Excellence Select is truly revolutionary and you guys are doing yourselves a disservice if you do not look into this amazing alternative to your standard corporatized Obamacare health insurance. You can learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com health or if you're ready to sign up you can directly call my representative Jeff Cantor at 440-283-6849. Tell him Mark from Lions of Liberty sent you. Now Austin... I just want to move on. We've got some listener questions here, and I did invite my listeners to ask you questions for this interview over in our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. So I'm going to tick off a few right now, starting with Trey Waits, who asks, what would Austin Peterson's first day in office look like as the president? Home.
0: Well, assuming that I am not sleeping off my hangover from the insane inaugural party. <laughs> that might be the real day one.
1: <laughs> Wake up around 2 p.m., drink exactly. a mimosa.
0: Right, exactly. Roll out of the Lincoln bedroom and... Uh, Head no, over to I, the nearest brunch spot. Exactly, yeah. Take a dip in the White House pool.
1: I mean, really, that should be everyone's first day, if we were going to be honest here. Can <laughs> I you say. give the guy a minute to bask in the glory?
0: Yeah, exactly. I get one single minute to bask in the glory. I would direct Congress and work with congressional leaders such as Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Justin Amash, uh, Massey in Kentucky and ask them to send me legislation overturning Obamacare, the ACA, uh, restoring a free market in health care. I would ask for them to send me legislation that would cut spending, cut taxes and focus on those fiscal issues so that we can get government and check. I want to cross the board spending cuts. Every single program of the federal government will take a haircut under my administration, or I will veto every bill that does not put us on a path towards a balanced budget.
1: So you're telling me you would actually ask Congress to do something instead of being a totalitarian and just uh, you know, making executive orders all on your own.
0: Oh, yeah. I get all kinds of hell from libertarians on this. But I am a constitutional libertarian, meaning that I have to put my ideology to the side and obey my oath of office, which is obeying the Constitution. I will obey the Constitution. And, you know, it would be the most libertarian president in history if you just obeyed the Constitution. So that's what I plan on doing.
1: Austin, I recently interviewed Chris-Ann Hall and we discussed uh, the situation with the Bureau of Land Management and how they're essentially just grabbing land over the last 50 plus years all across the Western United States. This has led to a lot of conflicts with ranchers. You saw that last year in Nevada with the bunnies. We saw it this year in Oregon, a situation which ended very tragically with the death of one man. So William Beveridge asks to play off that, would you abolish the BLM and what are your ideas for reducing and eliminating the land that they control?
0: Yeah, I would sell off as much federal land as I possibly could if I could talk Congress into it. Um, Yeah, the government owns way too much land, so I don't really know that we necessarily need a Bureau of Land Management. So let's get them out of there. You know, Bundys have every right to free graze. You know, for hundreds of years, the uh, ranchers have been out there, you know, using that land. Why don't we just sell it? To me, that makes perfect sense. If we sold it, we could use the proceeds to pay off the Social Security, the shortfalls we'll have in Social Security, while we look for a path to get young people opted out of that system so that we can move towards a private system for our pensions and for our uh, retirement plans.
1: All right. Nate Ginn wants to know, what is your plan to keep rising inflation in check? Essentially, what would your stance on the Federal Reserve be?
0: I would like to end the Federal Reserve through competition, and the way that I would do that is to direct Congress to send me legislation abolishing laws of legal tender. And this would mean that we would legalize competition. Bitcoins could compete. Gold and silver could compete. We could have a real free market monetary policy. I've been very inspired by Dr. Friedrich Hayek's uh, free market monetary policy, and I think that we've actually had something similar here in the United States. It wasn't a full free banking system. It was more of a state chartered system. And the opponents of it were correct that it was very confusing. At the time, of course, no one had a calculator. And uh, it was very difficult to work with exchange rates across the many states. But again, it was a state licensing scheme rather than a federal licensing scheme in terms of our currency. But I would like to see banks given the option to compete. Now let's let banks compete. Let's let the free market work. Friedrich Hayek said that we'll never know what good money is as long as government controls the tap. So we should allow private banks to issue their own currency and just see what happens. There was a man who did something like this, Bernard von Nothaus. He started the Liberty Dollar. They called him an economic terrorist for circulating gold and silver coins and gold and silver certificates to the people of his small town. There is nothing inherently violent or terrorist-ish about circulating gold and silver coins. It would be a revolution if I won the White House. Because all of a sudden, free, peaceful people who are not engaging in any kind of crime or harming anyone through such means would suddenly be free to do as they please, provided they harm no one else. We need a free market in money. We need competition against the Federal Reserve. We need alternative free market institutions to rise up and challenge the creature from Jekyll Island.
1: Is it safe to say that a guy like Bernard von Nothaus would be uh, one of the first people you look to pardon people like that? Oh, absolutely.
0: In a hot second.
1: All right, moving along. Keith Doran, I hope I pronounced that correctly. If not, I apologize. He wants to know what your stance is on climate change and basically what the libertarian stance should be on climate change. Do you think it's a government issue or do you think the whole thing is just bunk?
0: Mm. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Truth is, is that I'm not a climate scientist and I don't know. But uh, I do look to scientific consensus on things like that, of course. But uh, of course, scientific consensus has been wrong in the past. So I try and be skeptical. I'm always a very skeptical person. And I think that the libertarian stance on climate change or global warming or whatever you'd like to call it should be this. We don't know, but the government isn't the solution. That's just the reality. No government could possibly be powerful enough to alter the climate. To me, I think that it's a fallacy and uh, whatever the problem is, government isn't the solution.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say, regardless of what one might believe about the science of global warming, any serious analysis of the issue would tell you that trading carbon credits through a government scheme is not going to help the situation whatsoever.
0: No, no, it's absolutely not. Besides, we need to invade China, Japan, we need to invade uh, Russia, take over their economies and uh, force them into the same system because they're the major polluters anyway.
1: Careful, I could clip that quote off and make I it sound know. Like you I, want. know. <laughs> I know. All right, we want to move on to Austin Broderson. A little bit more of a lighthearted question here. Austin wants to know what is your favorite and least favorite thing about running for president?
0: Oh, that's a really good question.
1: That's why it made the cut. Wow.
0: The least favorite thing, that I think I can start with that. There's a lot of things to not like about running for public office. First of all is people taking your things out of context. The, people, the fact that you find out that people really just don't have a sense of humor. You know? I'm very lighthearted and I like to tease my friends and I have a very sweet like, kind of I'm like, silly personality. Sometimes I come across as kind of a jerk online, but, but my main personality is uh, to be humorous. So I guess what I don't like about running for president is that I can't be as fun or funny as I'd like to be. People expect you to be serious. They expect you to act serious. And uh, I can find humor in even the most serious situations. I've always been that way. So I guess that I have to be more buttoned down in a sense. But I understand it comes with the territory because I'm trying to represent the people of the United States, which means that I need to forego some of my uh, perhaps more mirthful sides of my personality in order to be a better representative. So I accept that. Uh, What do I like about running for president? Mm -hmm. I would say it's the attention, but most of the attention is negative. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, you know what I really do love about it is that I get to inspire people, is that people that I've met across the country come out and say, you know what, Austin, I was a conservative Republican until I read The Libertarian Republic, and now because of your news website, I'm a full-blown libertarian. Thank you, and you know, let me buy you a beer, you know, and that I get to go around and touch people and inspire them, more than like podcasts like this or television appearances, I make dozens and dozens of phone calls a day to, to talk to people, to raise money, of course, but also to listen to people's concerns. And when I listen to people's concerns and I have a contact with them, it creates a bond and a feeling of trust and community. So I love that. I love connecting with, with people one person at a time, listening to their concerns and their hopes for the future of this country. And it makes me feel civic-minded. It makes me feel like a real red-blooded, America-loving you know, red blooded American, you know, and so that's what I like about it is the personal connection that I get with people. And I'm the only one doing this. So to me, it's exciting, because I'm building a real grassroots movement here. And to see it take shape in such a way and to see people come to my defense, without even having being asked that when someone attacks me that it's like a swarm of bees, that they come to my defense, because they know me, they trust me, and they're fighting for me. That makes me feel like a real champion. And uh, that to me is the best part.
1: Well, I can attest that the awesome Peterson fans are out there and they do come to your defense because many of them are members of uh, our private group, the Lions of Liberty Forum, and many of them do vigorously come to your defense on issues. So the proof is in the pudding. And uh, I can also attest that, you know, you do definitely reach out because I've seen you post your personal phone number on social media telling people, hey, if you've got questions, go ahead and call me. So you're certainly making yourself uh, more accessible than maybe any presidential candidate ever.
0: Right, yeah, it's groundbreaking. And I also have live streams almost every single day. This is real democracy, ladies and gentlemen, because if people have concerns or issues, not only do I make myself available to them individually, but we basically have a town with well, the equivalent of a town hall every night with thousands of people. I think every single show that I've done or live stream that I've done has had at a minimum 2,000 people watching and the other night I was able to bring 17,000 people with me into a forum that I was at. It's unbelievable and that's what people want. They want that transparency. If the Republicans and Democrats try and screw me out of being on the debate stage with them later this fall if I'm the nominee, I'm going to turn that live stream on and show the people of the United States in real time what's happening with their system of government. We're absolutely revolutionizing how campaigns are run, grassroots campaigns are run. It's totally exciting that I'm not a single dime of special interest money have I taken. I have only been funded by the grassroots who have lifted me up and who are pushing this forward. This is the people's campaign. I'm the real grassroots candidate. And because of that, I have zero dollars of campaign debt, unlike some people in this race. I am running a real fiscally conservative campaign. I'm campaigning exactly the same way I would govern with the hearts and minds of the people in my own heart and mind and uh, running a real democratic campaign. This is very exciting, Mark.
1: Awesome. This question just came in today. Obviously, uh, there have been some tragic events recently in Belgium. So Trey Waits asks, after the attacks on Belgium, what should be done to combat ISIS?
0: I've been floating this proposal for months now and getting some traction with it. I'm very inspired by Dr. Ron Paul's foreign policy. Of course, I think we should have never gotten involved in the Middle East in the first place. But the, that being said, we are absolutely under threat. So I think that we need to consider what Ron Paul said in having constitutional letters of Mark and reprisal. And that's the constitutional way to fight pirates and terrorists. That's how Thomas Jefferson fought them. And if you go to com, and I posted on my uh, Austin Peterson Facebook page today, the how, what would Thomas Jefferson do in regards to ISIS? And uh, he used letters of Mark. He used them alongside traditional forces, if I'm going to be completely honest, But that was also an option. We need privateers. We need people who are willing. There are probably thousands of -of out-of-work veterans in the United States right now that would love the opportunity to go into Raqqa and to take care of al-Baghdadi and the bad guys. So I don't understand why we can't follow the Constitution, obey the Constitution, and use a constitutional foreign policy. Otherwise, we need to have a full-blown declaration of war from Congress, uh, that we need to have an actual constitutional foreign policy. That's how we need to deal with terrorists.
1: It really seems like there's no middle ground a lot of the times, especially among libertarians, because many will ask for a strict non-interventionist foreign policy, basically saying, don't go after anybody who's bad, even if they attack you. And then you kind of have the other end of things where if you want to support some kind of intervention, it's just full-blown war. And the letter of Mark and Repaisal idea, like you said, this is something that Ron Paul has talked about. It's not revolutionary. It's not new. Like you said, it's in the Constitution. Seems like a much better idea, actually just targeting specific bad guys as opposed to just invading any country bad guys happen to exist in.
0: Absolutely. That's what I think is a reasonable middle ground. It's what we really need to be going looking at and uh, i'm very excited about to have the opportunity to present these ideas to the american people for the first time i see many people are talking about the constitution again and they're talking about what it means to have a separation of powers and they're talking about what it means for the executive branch what are the powers of the executive branch what are the powers of the legislative branch we're having discussions about eminent domain how it's anti-libertarian but it is constitutional and what would you do if you were a president if you had a, an issue of eminent domain these questions are coming up mark I mean, I feel like I'm winning every single day because I'm doing what I want to do, which is spread liberty. And more and more people are getting interested in the Constitution and the libertarian ideas. And like, you know, I really don't care about the haters. My skin is so thick. It just, it doesn't get under my skin to have all the people attacking me about, you know, this, the nap or whatever stupid issue of the day they, they take, have to take with me. If they don't like my ego, et cetera, et cetera. I really don't care because when I see, you know, 16 and 17 year old kids coming out to the rallies with their, bringing their parents And they're like, you know, I had a father come up to me after his son had kind of like, you know, fanboyed on me. And his father came up to me and said, thank you for getting my son interested in politics. And it was like, wow, you know, win. That's a huge win for me. That's a major psychological victory. His son may not be able to vote for me in the general election, but his father might. (laughs) But uh, the reality is, is that I'm building a generational liberty movement. This campaign is doing something that no other campaign is doing right now inspiring young people, getting people active and excited again, and uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it.
1: Well, that does have to be an amazing feeling because as much as we might debate the minutia of libertarian philosophy and this sort of thing, the first step in any of this conversation is getting people interested in politics, getting people to care in the first place. So that's got to be a tremendous feeling to hear that from somebody. I mean, so many people on the show will reference people like Ron Paul or Ayn Rand as the person that first inspired them to become more interested in politics. So I'm sure it's just an incredible feeling when somebody tells you that you're the one that did that for them
0: yep absolutely exactly. yeah. I never thought I would actually be in that position. I just always when I first started getting involved in mainstream politics, I was doing grassroots volunteering for Ron Paul, just doing whatever I could to help propel his campaign forward. and then one thing sort of led to another, and I, I kind of fell into this situation. but every man has meets his moment. People ask me, you know why are you running for president? I looked at the timing and I said to myself, this is probably the time when I need to do something like this because I'm needed. You can tell when you have purpose in your life and you, you feel yourself drawn to something, you know that it's the right time. And when I looked at the field of candidates, when I looked at how desperate people were, when I saw how dejected people were after you know Rand was not doing well last year, when I saw the looming Trump, you know, the Trump steamroller coming at us and Hillary Clinton inevitable on the left, I said to myself, I'm better than all of these candidates I'm gonna go ahead and put my name in there. I'm gonna fight for the libertarian torch, and I'm going to offer myself up to as tribute in this Hunger Games.
1: <laughs> in these Hunger Games. Well, yeah. let's hope it doesn't get as extreme as the Hunger Games, but sometimes it feels that way in the political arena for sure. Now, Austin, just one more question. I gotta squeak in here. I have to. From Kyle Anzalone. He wants to know: do you have any plans to drop acid with John McAfee? <laughs> Uh, Because for those that don't know, he did actually offer you to uh, come and drop acid with him on a a recent uh, libertarian debate.
0: I hope this is the only time I ever have (laughs) to use this politician's comment. I'm going to tell you right
1: now, no comment. All right, well – people out there you can make of that no comment what you will Uh, (laughs) Austin I do thank you for coming on the show Uh, we may not agree on every little issue but I do think you are really bringing something uh, important to this race and uh, I keep seeing people posting these I side with and uh, a lot of them seem to be coming up Austin Peterson so they're definitely causing some traction out there with people so I wish you the best of luck and uh, I hope every one of these state parties invites you to their conventions invites you to their debates because you know the grounds for leaving you off of it certainly doesn't seem to be met by other people so I think we need as many Great voices in there as possible, and you certainly are one of them. Thank you, Mark. Have a great day. Take care, Austin. Have a good one, man. Bye. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with presidential candidate Austin Peterson. Now, I know this guy causes a lot of feathers to be ruffled in the libertarian movement. We've seen that by certain libertarian state parties rejecting his candidacy, trying to reject his presidents at the conventions altogether. And frankly, I just don't see the reason why. Because, look, if you're comparing him to everybody else, and look, I don't agree with Austin on everything. We've discussed this. Uh, you can go back to episode 120 of this program, and you can hear some of our disagreements on things. But really, at the end of the day... We need a lot of voices in this liberty movement, and for certain sections of the Libertarian Party, do pick and choose certain people to exclude for reasons that really don't line up with the other candidates just seems to make no sense at all. Now, to me, Austin seems like a pretty sincere guy who is trying to do what he's doing and build a liberty movement and is being sincere in his run for president. Now, you might not like his methods. You might not like a lot of his statements. You might not like his positions. That's all well and good. But I do think he's a voice worth listening to and a voice worth conversing with. And that's why I converse with him here today. And now you guys heard a lot of questions today. For listeners of this program, and you may be wondering, well, how come my question isn't in there? How, how do I get questions to your guests? Well, an easy way to do that is by joining our private group on Facebook. That's the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your little search bar on Facebook. It should just pop right up. We'll also, of course, link to that in the show notes for this program over at lionsofliberty.com slash 197. Another way you can connect with me if you're not a Facebook guy, No problem. There are several ways you can connect with us. You can also find us on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. Our main Facebook page, I shouldn't leave out, is found at facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Please do connect with us there. But if you just aren't a fan of social media, no problem. You can also email me, MarkMARC. That's M-A-R-C. No K, guys. M A R C at LionsofLiberty.com. I'm happy to take any suggestions, questions, criticisms, whatever you got. I'm just happy to have you a part of this conversation. Now, speaking of the libertarian presidential race and the libertarian debates, well, there is actually, amazingly, a libertarian presidential debate being nationally televised this coming weekend on Fox Business. Of course, leave it to the libertarians to screw everything up, at least for me, because this weekend, this Friday, I'm going to be out of town. Brian McWilliams, another guy here on these shows, is going to be out of town. We're just not going to be in a position to watch this thing this weekend, however... As you know, we've got quite the extensive crew here at the Lions of Liberty, and we've gathered a crew to dissect that debate. It will be led by Felony Friday host John Odermatt. He will have a group of Lions of Liberty watching and analyzing this nationally televised libertarian debate, which will include Austin Peterson as well as Gary Johnson and John McAfee. No report on whether... Anybody will be doing acid before, during, or after this debate. That remains to be seen, but it should be interesting either way. So we do encourage you to come back next Monday for a recap of the libertarian presidential debate. Of course, between now and then, you've got another great edition of Felony Friday this coming Friday in your Lions of Liberty podcast feed, a weekly look at the broken criminal justice system. Do not forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher if you enjoy listening on YouTube All our shows are up on our YouTube channel as well. You can subscribe to us there. If you like listening on your Amazon Echo, you can just yell at that thing, Alexa, play me Lions of Liberty on TuneIn, and she'll do it. TuneIn Radio, we're on there as well. That's how you listen to podcasts through your Amazon Echo device. There's really no shortage of methods by which you can participate in this program. If you are a fan of the show, I also highly encourage you to leave a rating and a five-star review on iTunes, on Stitcher, however you listen to the show. That really does help us get the show out there to more and more people. And if you want to toss a few ducats our way, don't forget you can always shop at our Amazon affiliate link, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon. Just click on that puppy, bookmark it, and keep doing all your online shopping through there. It costs you nothing extra and sends a few ducats back our way. And we need ducats to keep this podcast going because we're almost at episode 200. We are so close to this exciting milestone. And I could not have done it without you guys. Because without an audience, there's really no point in doing a podcast, to be clear. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being part of this program. Thank you for everyone that suggested questions for Austin Peterson. I will keep trying to reach out to my listeners and finding new ways to get you involved in this program. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.